is one of the great spokesmen of truth in this last day. Thank God for the Diaz family. We love Caleb and Micah. Thank God they're with their father. They're going to Youth Congress this week. It's going to be a great week in Indianapolis. We're so glad to have Brother and Sister Tummins with us. God bless you, my good friend. Amen. We love them so much. Praise the Lord. And they were with us this morning and uh, again tonight. Uh, but God has a special word. One of the things I appreciate so much about Brother Diaz is that every time he opens this book and opens his heart, you know you're going to hear from the Lord. How many are ready to receive God's word tonight? Amen. Could you put your hands together as he comes and brings the word? Would you give that unto the Lord here this evening? Blessed be the name of the Lord. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise unto God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks unto his name. Amen. It is so good to be in the house of the Lord one more time and uh, to be able to worship him and feel him the way that we do. What a privilege it is to worship and to serve such a mighty God that we do. Man, I count it an honor to be called uh, a son of God. As a matter of fact, uh, it was John who said, Behold, what manner of love. Behold, what manner of love. That we should be called the sons of God. It's, uh, so it's an honor to be called the sons of God, you know. I was thinking, um, I was thinking earlier today, on uh, what uh, I spoke on this morning, uh, that not everybody gets to call God Father. Um, if you search all throughout Scripture, I know, you know, I know that many people will say we are all the children of God, but that title is never ever mentioned in Scripture for unbelievers. In the Bible, the unbelievers are never called the sons of God. They're never called the children of God. And, uh, and so um, to them who received him, the Bible says, he gave them power to, be, to become the sons of God. Amen. And, um, and so uh, it is, uh, we are the sons of God by way of adoption. Uh, your first birth made you a, a child of your parents. But your second birth made you a child of God. And, and so we don't take sonship lightly. Now, this is a very, very important aspect of uh, Christian doctrine that we are the sons of God. Do, do you know why we are called the sons of God and not the sons and daughters of God? And when you look, you know... Uh, you know, many people will say, well, that's that's easy. That's because masculinity is, is often used as a, a form of, you know, uh, uh, where we kind of include both genders. Well, th that's not the case in the Greek. In the Greek, usually, well, not usually, but in Paul's writings, when he called you a son and he says, you've been adopted, now you're a son, and because you're a son, you are an heir. Well, that word there, was talking about a male son. And he, he's calling men and women the sons of God. Do you realize why he was calling even women? He was calling them the sons of God. 
The reason why is because only male sons could be inheritors. No female could be inheritor. And so what he was saying is in Christ, both male and female can inherit God's blessing. Because you ladies are now a son, you are also an heir to the promise. Amen. And so this is what Jesus Christ came to do. He came to elevate females and put them right at the level of males. That, that's part of what he came to do as well. He said there is no more free, no more bond servant, no more male, no more female. But we are all the children of God in Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Uh, I want to go into the word of the Lord here in the book of Psalms 69, and I'm going to read verse 30 through verse 31. Psalms 69, verse 30, and also verse 31. And the Bible reads as so in the name of Jesus Christ. I will praise the name of God with a song, and I will magnify him with thanksgiving. This also shall please the Lord better than an ox or a bull which has horns and hoofs. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. I want you to notice here that there is a sacrifice. There is a praise. There is a sacrifice that pleases the Lord better than the sacrifice of an ox better than the sacrifice of a bull. Then in Hebrews 12, 28, you don't have to look. I didn't, I didn't put this scripture up, but um, Hebrews 12, 28 says, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be, everybody say thankful. Let us be thankful and watch this. And then it says, and so that means on account of the fact that you are thankful, then uh, you can worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. You know, there is a sacrifice that you can offer the Lord. And the Bible says it will be acceptable to him because not every sacrifice is acceptable to God. Not every sacrifice is acceptable to God. So I want to speak to you here. The acceptable sacrifice of praise, or we can go with, uh, you know, uh, I will magnify him with thanksgiving. Magnify the Lord with thanksgiving. Magnify the Lord with thanksgiving. And we're going to discuss that. What is the praise that God accepts? What is the praise in our day and time that God accepts? There's only one praise, there's only one kind of sacrifice that God accepts in this day and time. And that's what we'll be discussing here today. Thank you, Jesus, for your uh, word. And I praise you, O oh Lord, because you've uh, revealed it to us. And I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to bring it forth to your people that they may understand here tonight. And I pray, O oh God, that you would anoint my lips, that I may speak the oracles of God as you deem pleased. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you. You may be seated all over this building.
The word magnify, to magnify. It says, I will praise the name of God with a song and I will magnify him with thanksgiving. Well, that word magnify means to make greater in actual size, to increase the apparent size of or to enlarge. When I was looking at some of the synonyms to that word magnify, I noticed that to magnify means to aggrandize or to enlarge or to amplify or to blow up. And so I, I had a question, and the question was, how curious to me that the Bible commands us to magnify a God who is already all-powerful, all-knowing, all-sufficient. I mean, how do you magnify this God? How can you elevate a God? How can you magnify, aggrandize, enlarge, blow up, amplify a God who is, the Bible said, heaven is his throne and the earth is his footstool. That's the kind of God we serve. I mean, he's already all big. The Bible talks about that the heavens of the heavens cannot contain him. The world is upheld by the power of his word. And the heavens declare the glory of God. He measures the sea, the prophet said, with the palm of his hand. So how can we magnify this kind of God who claims that there is no God on earth besides him? For whom, the prophet says, and then the apostle Paul repeats, for whom hath been his counselor? He is king and he is Lord of lords. How can we magnify that God? How can we make God greater than what he actually is? How, when we consider our own lowly estate, like the psalmist did when he said, when I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, your moon and your stars, which you have ordained, he, he's got to ask himself, he said, what is man in light of all of the stuff? What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? We couldn't even dare to begin to fathom the thought that in our meek and lowly estate that we could magnify this God. However, over and over again, the scripture invites us to magnify him. The scripture tells us, oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Let us exalt his name together. Magnify the Lord to me. That is, aggrandize, enlarge, blow up the Lord with me. This is what magnification means. And then Mary also said, I will praise the name of God. Or Mary said, my soul doth magnify the Lord. This is what Mary said. And then, uh, you know, uh, in Acts chapter 10, uh, the, 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 the people, the audience that was there said that they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. But we can't make God any bigger. 
We can't aggrandize God. We can't ele elevate him in rank or honor or position or power or character or knowledge or quality or wisdom. We can't make him any bigger. So there must be a way that we can magnify God without changing his stature. Well, to better understand what the psalmist is inviting us to do, then it is best to distinguish the two ways in which you can magnify something. See, number one, you can magnify something by making something appear larger than what it is. That is, through a microscope. You take a microscope, and a microscope enlarges the actual size of a micro-being so that we can study its most minuscule elements. So you take an atom, for example, which is uh, not apparent to the naked eye, but you put, under, you put it under a microscope, and the microscope enlarges it so that it appears to be bigger than what it is. Well, that doesn't fit with our definition of magnification because we've already learned God is too big. You can't make him any bigger than what he already is. So then... There's a second way to magnify something. See, uh, you can magnify something, something that appears to be small in our sight, uh, usually because of its distance. Uh, it is, appears to be small in our sight. You can magnify it so that we could see it, so that you could see it in its actual size. See, you don't do that through a microscope. You do that through a telescope. A telescope doesn't magnify the planet itself. A telescope magnifies your perspective of that planet. You know, the sun can be so small from our perspective that in, you know, in the right angle, you can block the sun with your thumb. You can block the sun with your hand. However, it's not the sun that is small. One million planet Earths could fit inside of the sun, and it is the closest star to planet Earth. And that's why, you know, it is the closest star to planet Earth, but if you wanted to get there on a commercial jetliner, if you wanted to get to the sun, you know how long it will take you? 200 consecutive years to get to the sun. If you want to get there, I suggest you start now. Right? However, it's not the sun that is small. It's our perspective of that sun. It's not Venus that is small. It is our perspective of Mercury and, you know, Mercury and Venus and, well, and Mars and Jupiter and Saturn, Uranus, Neptune. It is our perspective of the planets that is small, but it's not the planet itself. And so what we need because of distance, distance makes it appear smaller than what it is. And so what we need from our perspective is a tool that helps us to magnify this planet so that we could see it in its actual size. We are not enlarging it. We are enlarging our view of it. And so as we enlarge our view of it, then we could see it as it really is. And when the psalmist asks us to magnify our God, what he is asking us to do is to see God not through a microscope because God is not small. But what he's telling us to do is look 
at your God through a telescope, not a microscope. In other words, to magnify God means to see him as big as he already is. It is not God that is being changed, but it is your perspective of God that is changing. And when you magnify God, it is not a praise that wishes that God could change his size. It is, but it is a confession. When you magnify the Lord in the house of God, it is a confession that says, my view of your greatness is much too small. My perspective of you is is much too small when you magnify God when you exalt God when you are you know lifting him up and aggrandizing God what you are saying is you know my spiritual telescope must come out so that I can see you let me adjust my perspective of you so that I can see you in your proper size that's what praise does it magnifies God see you your praise doesn't change God your praise changes you when you come into the house of God and praise his name it's not God that is changing it is you amen that's why that's why so many people we we get it wrong so many times when we say why don't you welcome God into this place or God has just arrived as though God was not already here that's what the very word means when he says he is in all places at all times amen you know so it's not that God is coming in for the first time no that's not what praise does it doesn't welcome him in what praise does is it reveals him to you so that you are aware that God is already here and when you become aware of this amen it's what praise does it magnifies God when you see God through your telescope a praise you know what you're saying you're saying let me adjust my perspective because all day long I've been magnifying other stuff through my microscope I've been magnifying trouble I've been magnifying problems I've been magnifying Hollywood I've been magnifying sports I've been magnifying entertainment I've been magnifying myself I've been magnifying my education I've been magnifying other people through my microscope that's what I've been doing I've been looking over here and going whoo that boy is bad whoo look at this whoo look at that oh look at money that's microscope because these are items are actually small so you're looking at them through your microscope but when you get to the house of God you pull out your telescope you look unto the hills from whence cometh your help and you say oh that's what praise does it says oh you are great you are wonderful you are powerful you are magnificent you are amazing you are an everlasting God your word is made light Woo. 
My God, in my view of you, my perspective of you needed to be adjusted so that I could see you as you really are. That's what praise does, ladies and gentlemen. What praise does is it puts things in their proper perspective. We adjust our view of God in our minds so that he becomes whom he has always been and whom he will always be. We don't make God bigger. We make our perspective of God bigger through praise well how do you magnify God well you magnify him through praise but can I tell you not every praise magnifies God not every sacrifice magnifies God how do I know that well in Genesis chapter 4 Cain and Abel came at the appointed time and that's how you know this was worship this was not just an act of sacrifice of some random sort it, you know this was worship because it it came at the appointed time and so they came at a special time for worship because in the bible worship has always been synonymous with sacrifice sacrifice and so this is what it is when they come over they offer a sacrifice unto the lord but the lord accepted abel's offering over cain's offering he accepted abel's worship over Cain's worship. Why? Because there is not every praise and worship magnifies God. And then in the book of Amos, the Bible talks, the Lord speaking through Amos said, I hate and I despise your feast days. He says, I will not smell in your solemn assemblies. Though you offer me burnt offerings and your meat offerings, I will not accept them. Neither will I regard the peace offerings of your fat beasts. And then he says, take away from me the noise of your songs. He didn't even have the decency to call it music. He said, it is noise. When you sing, it is noise unto me. For I will not hear the melody of your vials. That means even your instruments, when you play with the wrong perspective, when you play, play I don't care how you do it but it when you play I don't care how good you are what quality of a musician you are or what quality of a singer you are there is a certain praise that does not magnify me and I will not accept that kind of praise mm, mm, mm. now not all praise magnifies God but there is a praise that does. And our text brings this to light. Our text says, I will praise the name of God with a song. And then it says, I will magnify him. Now, I want to pay attention to what magnifies God. And so I'm going to look to see what kind of praise magnifies God. And this is what he says. I will magnify him, watch this, with thanksgiving I will magnify him with thanksgiving what what does that even mean well the word that is used there for thanksgiving is that word toda and to better understand the word toda in the Hebrew you have to look back in uh, you know the word toda ba basically means thank you or thanks and uh, or or gratitude or thanksgiving this is what that word means in other words the word toda 
is a praise. It is part of the, the different words that, that uh, fill out that word praise in the Hebrew. There's several different words that kind of, uh, you know, that kind of describe what kind of praise it is. And Toda is a specific type of praise. You know, when you talk about Toda, Toda is a praise that is offered unto the Lord as a thanksgiving for something he has done for you. This is what Toda is. Now, if you really want to look at that word, the true meaning of that word Toda, you have to look at the book of Leviticus. In the book of Leviticus in, in various places, but especially in chapter 7, it will give you a clearer picture of what that word means because Toda was a sacrifice that was offered unto the Lord when a person had been delivered from a great evil or a great illness or great anguish or a war of some sort when a person was on his deathbed and this was a great evil there was a, uh, a, a a sacrifice that they can bring into the temple and if that person was at the point of death then this person could come into the temple to offer up a sacrifice of thanksgiving this is what sacrifice of thanksgiving means now this offering was not mandatory this was a voluntary offering now you know that if if you look all throughout Leviticus, you know that there were several different sacrifices that were offered unto the Lord or were commanded of the people. There was the, the sacrifice for, for your sins, the sacrifice to remove the wrath of God. There were di different sacrifices, but we know through uh, the book of Hebrews that all of these sacrifices have been fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ, who is the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. He he is now our sin offering. He is now our wrath offering. He is now the offering that was offered up. And yet the Bible commands us that we should present our bodies as a living sacrifice. So what is this deal? That if we still have to sacrifice, but Jesus already fulfilled the sacrifice for us. Then what is the discrepancy here? Well, there is no discrepancy. See, when we present our bodies as a living sacrifice, it is not the sacrifice for sin. It is not the sacrifice of wrath. Rather, it is a sacrifice of thanksgiving. That's why Paul called it a reasonable service. A reasonable. This is something, this is, this is not something you do to get something from God this is something you do on account of everything that happened in Romans chapter 1 through chapter 11 and that's why Paul starts out by saying therefore you know present your bodies on account of everything I've told you about the grace of God and all that he's done for you now it is your turn to sacrifice unto God for everything that he has already done for you Right? So we don't offer sin sacrifices anymore that has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ for us already the sacrifices that we offer unto God are sacrifices of thanksgiving 
thanksgiving. And what is this toda sacrifice or toda uh, praise that we bring to the house of the Lord? Well, when these people had been delivered from a great anguish or great war or a great famine or a great illness, if that person was at a point of death or so, he would bring this sacrifice of praise of thanksgiving to God. This offering was completely voluntary. This was not a solemn requirement. It was not it was not uh, something that was required of them it was completely voluntary and it was offered unto God for everything that he had done for them by saving them from great fear great death great pain great trouble this was part of what the Old Testament called a sacrifice of praise a sacrifice of praise as opposed to a sacrifice of an ox or a sacrifice of a bull of goats this was a sacrifice of praise praise and so the people came and they weren't allowed to come by themselves when it was a sacrifice of thanksgiving a total offering they needed to bring their whole block their whole their whole neighborhood with them this was the only thing that was required of them that if they came with thanksgiving they needed to provide food for everyone that was coming along because this was going to be a feast so then they brought it about see the, the, and this is the point this is the point to the whole sacrifice of thanksgiving he is saying if you are really thankful thankfulness always always manifests itself in generosity when you are thankful you are generous and so if you're really thankful God said I don't want you to bring a little sacrifice over at midnight where nobody knows about it I really want to prove that you are thankful to me by way of your generosity so I want everybody around your way to come out and enjoy a free meal on you you bring it to the temple you bring everybody around you knock on doors and you say oh come on and celebrate the Lord with me let us magnify the Lord together because I was sick and now I am healed because I was at the point of death but God delivered me because I was at the point of illness but God put his saving hand upon me and I have been made free from all of my iniquity. is what David said you will see the voluntary nature of this offering when David says in Psalms 54 and there's many there's many references to this but but David said I will freely freely that's an important word I will freely sacrifice to you that is it is not imposed on me this is not something I read in the Torah so I will do because it is commanded of me it is not a solemn requirement but I will freely give sacrifice to you I will praise your name O Lord for it is good and when it says I will praise do you know what that word is it's toda he's saying I will toda your name O Lord for it is good watch this for he has delivered me out of all my trouble this is what David would do anytime God would deliver him from war or God would deliver him from a pit or God would deliver him from trouble 
he would go into the tabernacle and he would come into the little tent that they had and he would bring an offering unto the Lord and he would freely give sacrifice to God and offer the sacrifice of Torah, the sacrifice of thanksgiving unto the Lord. Why? Because God had been way too good to him. And so he said there is absolutely no way that I can keep it quiet. Do you understand that the sacrifice that magnifies God even today is the sacrifice of thanksgiving? It's that type of sacrifice that is welled up in your soul that way before you get to the house of God. You say, man, I can't get wait to get to service tonight because God has been way too good to me all week. I can't wait to let my brethren know. I can't wait to get there and offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving unto God. Man, I, I want to ask you the question because I want you to think about this critically. I want to ask you the question, why is it that God is magnified by thanksgiving and not just any other kind of praise? Why is God magnified by thanksgiving? Well, the only way I could explain it to you so that you could understand it is, see, gratitude is a compliment. Saying thank you is a compliment that magnifies another human being. Uh, how do you know that? Well, this is how I could tell. When my kids were younger, uh, I would probably say Caleb was probably about seven, six, seven. Micah was probably about four or five. And uh, so Caleb was able at the time, because he was tall enough, Dude was like five and eight feet. So I, so he was tall enough to ride, you know, shotgun. But Micah would always get mad at Caleb for riding shotgun, riding in the front seat. And so uh, Micah was pretty upset because he thought that he deserved to be in the front seat. But Caleb would use his, you know, firstborn status to kind of, you know, ignore him and push him away and get in that front seat. And so, uh, but, but, you know, Caleb's got a good heart. And so, uh, you know, he would get in that front seat and, and I would strap Micah down in the, in the back seat. And this one particular day, Micah thought he was, you know, big enough now that he could get in that front seat. And so he was pretty mad at Caleb. And, uh, and I remember, uh, you know, as we're driving, Micah's looking out the window. He wouldn't talk to anybody. He would not look at anybody. He would not, he was pretty mad. And so, you know, I'm, I'm going going out and then Caleb got smart and Caleb said you know what Micah's mad at me and in order to offer him a peace offering he took out a little Snickers bar that he had one of those little party ones that he found in a bag he took out a little Snickers bar and he goes here you go Micah and, he, and let me tell you something the worst thing you can do to somebody the worst thing that someone could do to me if I'm mad at you, the worst thing that you could do to me is offer me food. Because it puts me in a dichotomy. Like, I'm, I'm mad at you, but you're, it's food, you know? 
And so, and so this is how Micah reacted. Because I saw, I looked over on my rearview mirror, and I noticed that Micah was still not looking. You know, and Caleb was talking to him. Micah would not look until he heard the rapper started to crunch up. And he looked with the peripheral of his eye, he kind of looked over and he saw that it was chocolate. He saw it was a Snickers and he didn't even look up at Caleb. But he looked over, he was mad, and then all of a sudden, he grabbed that thing and began to eat. But he was still mad. And so, as, as the father that I am, I go, well, what do you say, Micah? And Micah just kept looking out the window. So I let about, you know, five seconds pass by. And then I said, all right. I said, well, Micah, what do you say? And Micah just kept looking out the window. And so finally I said, Micah. I said, do you want me to park this car? So I started moving the car over so that I could park on the side of the road. I said, do you really want me to park? And as I started moving the car over, Micah said, thank you. <laughs> but I realized something. It is extremely hard to say thank you to someone you are mad at. Do you know why? Because thank you is a compliment that magnifies the other person. Let, let, let me explain why. Because it is an action that magnifies another person because it is an admission that they are the benefactor and you are the beneficiary. It is an admission that they are the giver and you are the receiver. It is an admission that they are the grantor and you are the grantee. And they confer a benefit upon you of which you are the recipient. And thank you implies that I am in your debt for something you sacrifice your time. You sacrifice your ability. You sacrifice your hospitality, your money, your comfort, your effort for. It was you. And if I did not, if, if, it, was, if it wasn't for you, I would not have this benefit upon me. And watch this. The reason we can't say thank you to a person when we're mad is because the glory of a gift does not belong to the recipient. The glory of a gift belongs to the giver. I'll prove that to you. If I showed up here today in a brand new Lamborghini, brand new Lamborghini, first of all, you'd be looking at Brother Urshan going, are we going to buy some other properties out here with this man's money? Right? It's either that or, you know, this is a, a drug dealing preacher of some sort. <laughs> but you, you, you look at me, I bring a brand new Lamborghini to the house of God. And you look at me and you go, my 
God, preacher. And you know what? If you don't know me, what are the thoughts that are running through your head? The thoughts that are running through your head is, that's a bad boy. That, that dude's got some money. That dude must have an incredible education. That dude must have an incredible business. I don't know. What is he, what is he doing out there? What, is, what are his opportunities? Real estate. You're thinking, I've made all sorts of investments, and I've done all sorts of stuff. But then if you ask me, brother, that car is amazing. How did you, how did you come about that? And I tell you, oh, brother, it was a gift. Do you know what that does to your perspective? All of a sudden, in your mind, everything you have conferred upon me, all of the accolades go, because I'm no longer that rich dude that came about that made all sorts of investments. Uh-uh, I am that beggar. Right? And so now you're going, what? That was a gift? And now let me ask you this. What is your next question? Who was merciful enough? Who had enough to give you something of that nature? Who had enough money to be able to afford something that big that he would give you such a gift? What is his name? What is his social security? What is his address? What is his phone number? What's his Facebook? I want to meet him. Do you know why? Because the glory of a gift does not belong to the getter. The glory of a gift belongs to the giver. You don't walk around with a gift going, woo, look at me now. Because when people find out that was a gift, they're not going to look at you. They're going to look at who gave it to you. Who gave it to you. That's who they want to meet. That's who they want to be by. Listen, if, if LeBron James is, uh, someone in LeBron James's entourage would come out here, someone that grew up with LeBron James, and you come out and you look, whoo, look at that boy with his Gucci belt. Look at that boy with his designer jean pants. Look at that boy and what he came driving. And then you find out this is LeBron James's entourage, and he's getting paid only for being LeBron James's friend. Do you know you don't want to be his friend for the sake of who he is? You want to be his friend for the sake of whom he can introduce you to. Because the glory of a gift does not belong to the getter. The glory of a gift belongs to the giver. And when you say thank you, do you know what you are saying? This is what you are saying to God when you say thank you. Oh Lord. I am not the giver in this relationship. In this relationship, I am the getter. I am the recipient. I am the grantee. 
I have been afforded a right I did not deserve. In this relationship, I am the one covered by grace. I am the one covered by mercy. I am the one. You have given me much more than I deserve. My merit did not afford this. It was you and you alone. And when I say thank you, I am admitting to God, you are the giver. All glory belongs to you. Our Lord belongs to you. See, we, we, we have a hard time living in this principle of grace. We really do. We have a hard time understanding what grace really means because we can't accept grace for ourselves. And, I, and I'll tell you why. The reason why is because when you have gratitude, when you say thank you, you put yourself in debt to someone else. And so when we do this, when you put yourself in debt to someone else, you lose glory for yourself. And, and intrinsically, we all want glory for ourselves. We don't ever want to be in debt to anybody. That, I, listen, I'll prove it to you. You go to someone, especially a female's Instagram account. When she posts a selfie from the 378 options that she had, she chose the one that had the best lighting and the best angle. Where it didn't show all her, you know, all her blessings that God had given her. Right? God or McDonald's. And so here, here you are. These are, these are the stuff. And then, and then, you know, you go through all the filters, all the stuff. And then you have friends, right? Females have friends. Listen, I think females, innately, I think females, you guys are professional encouragers. Because I have never seen one picture where a friend of this female goes, ooh, that is a bad picture. Take that off. <laughs> All you see in the comments are, ooh, girl, eyebrows on fleek. <laughs> right? Like, you're so beautiful, I hate you. Right? These are all the comments. Now guys are looking at the same picture going, really? Don't laugh too hard or you're sleeping on the couch. <laughs> but, but this is the deal. I want you to notice something. It is really hard for the person who is receiving the compliment, the grace, the gift of a compliment, to just accept it. The woman never goes, oh, thank you. You hardly ever see that. Do you know how she responds? She says, girl, what you talking about? You're the beautiful one. Right? You're, what are you talking about, girl? I saw what you had on today. You're the one. Your eyebrows, your hair, your this. Do you know why we do that? Because we have a hard time living under grace. Because grace makes us debtors. 
and we don't want to be under anybody's debt. No one, see, listen, that's why David, when David comes up, he says he has the right concept about giving to God, you know, because Israel couldn't get this concept. This is why David is called a man after God's own heart, because David got it. David God, got God's heart, and, and, and Israel never got it. Israel thought that when they brought sacrifices unto the Lord, it was a business arrangement. It, it, you know, what they were doing is, we are your people, and because we are your people, we sacrifice, and now we're sacrificing to you so that you can provide protection for us, so that you can provide us with wealth, so that you can provide us with blessings. And they didn't get it. They didn't get what the sacrifices were about. No wonder David says, you, did not re you do not require sacrifice or else would I give it. That's what he said. He said, that, that's not the kind of sacrifices you're looking for. It's not it. The sacrifices you're looking for are a broken spirit and a contrite heart. Amen. And that you will not despise, O Lord. Watch this. What, 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 when David came and they brought all this offering, this is what David said. He said, who am I? And who are these people that we should even be allowed to bring this sacrifice to you, this offering to you? He said, because it all belongs to you. We've all received it from your hand. And so he's saying, listen, God, we're just returning what you have given to us. We're returning it back to you. Do you know what he was doing? He was living under the principle of grace. He knew how to accept the gift. He knew how to say, thank you. He was saying, I'm sacrificing to you, but I'm not sacrificing to you because I want something from you. I'm sacrificing to you because you've been way too good and I just don't know how else to prove to you how thankful I am. It is not because I want something. It is not because it saves me from evil. It is not because you're going to heal me. It is because if I don't get one more blessing from you, you've all already done enough in my life we, we, we don't live under that principle of grace many times and, and I'm going to tell you this and I, and, and I am guilty of this I'm guilty of this many times many times we can't live under the principle of grace and so we almost feel like we can put God in our debt with our praise have you realized listen Please, please, I've done this many times, so don't feel bad if you've done it yourself or if this is your perspective. I do it all the time because we all get sucked into, you know, the emotion of the stuff. And sometimes we don't really think about what we're saying. But have you realized how many times we say, come on, praise your way to a healing. Praise your way out of it. Pray so that God will do this and God will do that. Do you know what we have just done when we say that? We have reduced God to Baal. We've just reduced God to Baal. What we've done is, this is why we praise you. We praise you and, and listen. And then we say, well, but by grace are you saved through faith. You know, well, this is not grace if you have to praise him so that he does something for you. 
you know, you've just reduced God to Baal. That's what you've done. And God says, that's not the way I want to be praised. He said, listen, I'm not requiring sacrifice. I own the cattle on a thousand hills. I don't need your sacrifices. I don't need your worship. I don't need you to clap your hands to me. I don't need you. If everybody ever turned their backs on me and never praised me again, I would still be worthy of all praise. So that's what we say. We say, oh God, I'm going to praise you here. And, and what we do is we reduce God to bail. We reduce God to bail. And I've, I've seen many of that, not just in praise, but, you know, I was in a service one time, and I heard a man, it, it made me, it literally made me cringe when he said, he said, you know what fasting does? Fasting is turning God's hand over. Like, it's almost, he said, he said, it's, you're turning God's hands until he cries uncle. I looked over and I said, oh, God, what am I listening to right now? And then, and then I heard someone else say, you know, I want all the, you know, and, and he called a certain gender up. And he said, I want all you to come up to this front right here. And I want you to show your, your acts of righteousness to God, to reveal your acts of righteousness to God. And I want you to tell them this. This is, this is what the man said. He said, I want you to tell them this. Now, God, we have done our part. Now you do yours. But friends, you never want to do that to God. You can't put God in your debt. You can't put God in your debt. That's why you say thank you. Because thank you implies that it is not him who is in your debt. It is you who is in his debt. You can never come with your acts of righteousness and bring them before the Lord. Do you know why? Although, listen, I, I, listen I'm all for being righteous. I'm all for seeking the kingdom and its righteousness. I'm all for this. But can I tell you, you can't ever do this and expect God then to move on your behalf. And do you know why you can't do that? Because the last thing you want is for God to pull out his list. You never want God to say, oh, so you fulfilled your two points of the law, huh? Okay, let me pull out the, my list of all the times that I've been faithful and you have messed up. Let me pull out my list of all the pride that you've got in your heart and all the stuff that nobody else can see. How about all those acts of unrighteousness? Let me prove to you that I have been a whole lot more faithful than you ever can imagine. You don't ever want to challenge God in the covenant because he'll bring out his list of all the places where you have failed. You understand what I'm saying? So this is what Thanksgiving is. This is what Thanksgiving is. I want you to, I want you to see something. Many times, in, in, in my circles at least, Many times when I go places, the way that we approach God, it's almost, it's almost quite disrespectful if you think about it. 
I want you to notice every time that a man had an encounter with God in the Bible, a physical encounter with God, I'm going, I'm going to show you something, with God in the Bible, and, and, and every single time where there was a physical encounter with God, I want you to notice their attitude. I want you to notice their attitude. Here goes. Abraham. Then Abraham answered and said, Indeed now, I who am but dust and ashes have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. I want you to see when Jacob saw the Lord, this is what Jacob said. I am not worthy of the least of all thy mercies and of all the truth which you have shown your servant. That's what he said to the Lord. I want you to notice what Moses said when he saw him in the burning bush. He said, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? And then Moses said unto the Lord, oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. I want you to see how Job responded to him when he finally saw him. He said, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. And what happens, Job, when your eye sees him? Watch this. He says, therefore, I abhor myself. And I repent in dust and ashes. When he finally saw the Lord, he said, I repent. I want you to see what Isaiah did when he finally saw the Lord. He said, woe is me. I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king. How about John the Baptist when he finally saw him? He said, it is he who coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. And the tax collector in prayer, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes unto heaven. You never hear a prayer where there's someone down there going, Lord, I loose it, I bind it, I, I deliver it, I do this, I do that, as though God is an easy button from Staples. You don't ever see that. People who went before the Lord would say, Lord, I, I'm not worthy. Lord, I'm not worthy. But I'm just going to make a little petition right now. If there is 15 in that city, would it be all right, oh Lord? This is the way they approached him. They never said, oh God, in the name. They did not claim stuff of that nature. How about the centurion? Jesus went with him. And when he was already not far from the house. You know, at first, he wanted the Lord to come to his house. But as the Lord got closer and closer, the more his sinfulness became apparent to him. And so he said, the centurion sent friends to him saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself. For I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Therefore, I did not even think myself worthy to come to you. He said, I didn't even come to you because I'm not worthy. I'm a centurion, and I still did not come to you. I didn't feel that I was worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. How about Peter? When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me. 
for I am a sinful man, O Lord. This is the attitude. The attitude that you bring before the Lord is an attitude of gratitude. It is an attitude that says, I am a debtor. And if it had not been for you, I would not be where I am. If it had not been for you, I would not have what I have. If it had not been for you, I would not be in ministry right now. You have chosen me. You have chosen me. You have chosen me. I was, uh, I was shocked when I went back to New York City uh, here a couple years ago. And I began to do a, uh, uh, a little, you know, search for all of my friends that I grew up with in, in the local youth group. And I realized, my, let me tell you something, the, the church that I, that I attended, my dad pastored that church. My dad was not, uh, you know, admittedly, my dad was not the greatest uh, leader as far as, you know, growing a church in great numbers. But what he was great at was developing ministries. So there are a whole bunch, I mean, all throughout the nation and all throughout the world. I go to places even now where people are like, we pastor such and such a church. We were baptized at your dad's church. Your dad married us. He, you know, he, you know, put us out into ministry and stuff of that nature. Because he gave us a chance when we were, when we were young. You know, we would preach at youth group meetings. We would preach out outdoors. We would preach. At, and I remember there were about, in my youth group, there were about 15 to 20 guys and even some girls that could out-preach me like you would never believe. I mean, these were incredibly talented people. Sometimes I would go home and I would... You know, when you're young and, and, and uh, you compare yourself and compare your gifts and compare all that stuff, you know, and I would go home and sometimes I would be depressed out of my mind after hearing these people speak. Because I would think to myself, you know, I really need to be a fireman. I really need to be something else. Does this, how can I be a preacher after hearing that kind of stuff? You know, I need to be a daycare attender. So I went back home, and with my mom, we started going over all the names of all the kids that I grew up with. And do you know, in my youth group, of all of those names, of all those names, there were about 75 of us in the youth group at that time, of all of those names that grew up with me in that youth group, maybe about three of them still remain. Maybe. And when I say about three of them, I mean like barely holding on in somebody's church somewhere that they occasionally attend. You know, everybody else either killed, uh, you know, in jail. Some of them are in jail. Some of them are drug dealers now. Some of them are, you know, just whacked out on drugs, homeless. Uh, you know, we were doing, we were creating that list and we were looking them up to see what, where are all these kids? And, uh, and some of them uh, have been successful in business and so forth, but, but nothing to do with church. And I started realizing, wait a second. The Lord did not choose me because I was any better. 
I was not any better. He chose me because he loved me. And he had mercy on me. And this is the greatest, this is the greatest mystery of the Bible. That you will never in the whole Bible be able to tell what is the criteria for mercy. I don't know what the criteria for mercy is. The only thing I know is I'm thankful that I have it. I'm not gloating. I'm not gloating over anybody else. But I'm going to make a boast in the Lord that when I did not deserve it, and in spite of me and in spite of all of my sin and in spite of the fact that I am the chiefest of all sinners, God had mercy on me while I was yet a sinner. God had mercy on me. Would you lift your hands all over this place right now? Just lift your hands all over this place. And I want you to lift your voice unto the Lord and say, thank you, Jesus. I just want you to say, thank you, Jesus. I don't deserve this great mercy. I don't deserve grace. I don't deserve what you have given me, but we thank you anyway. You are the giver. I am the receiver. You are the grantor. I am the grantee. You, you, you. It is because of you that I am here. It is because of you that I am saved. Out of six billion people on planet Earth, it was me that you chose. It was me you knocked on my heart. You chose me you allowed my eyes to see the light of the gospel and I thank you Jesus for this opportunity thank you Jesus for this opportunity I'm going to end with this I'm going to end with this and uh, I hardly ever get to travel with my son so I'm going to end by telling him a little something here tonight if you don't mind and if and if it applies to you, then go ahead and take it. I want you guys to know something. Out of six billion people on planet Earth, God could have placed you in a home of a great successful doctor or a mechanic or an architect or a basketball player. That would have been fun. But you're kind of stuck. You got me. And I don't have much. Honestly, I, I really don't have much. But I have a fire down deep inside to serve God with all of my heart. I can't give you material things but I'm going to give you something that God has given me. The light of the truth of the gospel is what I give you. And for me, when I found that, when I personally found that, when I was young, when I was about your guys' age, is when I really found that. Do you know what that was for me? It was like a treasure in a field. I finally found it and I said, I'm going to sell everything that I have. And I'm going to buy the field where the treasure is. That's what it is. And I am so thankful to God 
that you are my sons. And I'm thankful to God. You don't know how thankful I am every single day that after every single adversity that we've been through, and it's been a little rough, it's been a little rough, but after every single adversity that, you know what I'm thankful for? That God honored me with the responsibility of giving you my influence. That is the greatest honor that God has given me. And so do you know how we respond to God now? Through thanksgiving. This is what we do. We thank him. Out of six billion people on planet earth, God chose you to be the sons of a minister. There are whole thousands of kids your age right now who have never heard the name Jesus. And yet God gave you this. A man who has told you from birth, blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, who standeth not in the way of the sinner, who sits not in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in that law does he meditate day and night. So you ought to be thankful. Not to me. You ought to be thankful to God. That he has given you this gift. The gift of his word. The gift of the fellowship of the saints. The gift of people like, you know, you're meeting Pastor Urshan. You're meeting some of the heroes of the faith. This is, not everybody gets to do this. Not everybody gets to do this. And God has given you that privilege. And God has given you that privilege. And you know what your acceptable sacrifice is? It is a sacrifice of thanksgiving. It is one that says, thank you, Jesus. I did not deserve it, but thank you. I don't deserve it, but I'm here. Thank you. It could have been worse. You've done so much for me. I could never repay you. But I'm just here to say thank you. I will magnify you with Toda. I will magnify you with thanksgiving. Will we do that all over this building tonight? Just magnify him all over this building. This altar is open. If you'd like to get here, if that's your custom, would you come and just say, Oh Lord, here I am, Toda, to give you Toda, thanksgiving for family, for work, for a job, for school, for education. We want to thank you, oh Lord, for a church. We want to thank you for ministry. We don't deserve it. We want to thank you for family and a marriage. And we want to thank you, oh God, because we don't deserve this privilege you've given us. But thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I give you thanks.